He was a great artist and a famous artist. But on his deathbed, an 18th century English sculptor said this, What I was as an artist seemed to be of some importance while I lived. But what I really am, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only thing of importance to me now. Now think about that. It was important while I lived that I was a well-known, gifted artist. But now, as I face death, all that really matters is what I've done with Jesus. And I want us to think today about death. About how the Christian faces death. The realities for the Christian at the point of death and beyond. And I believe that as we capture these truths from the passage we're going to study, it'll help us in the way we live our lives. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, this is the third part of a sermon titled, It's All About Jesus. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and we've been in Acts 7 for the last three weeks. We've been studying a sermon that Stephen, a deacon in the early church, preached And the sermon got him into all sorts of hot water. But we've been walking through this sermon. And the the major gist of the sermon is, it's all about Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at the aftermath. After he preached his sermon, what happened next? Look with me in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Truth with no mixture of error. The Bible says in Acts 7, verse 54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And look in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we come to you today to ascribe to you the worth that is due your great name. You are majestic, You are glorious, you are holy, you are sovereign, you are a God of splendor and greatness. Holy and awesome is your name. And Lord, today as we gather together, we say with one heart and with one voice, the Lord reigns. And Lord, we are grateful that you are in this place today. We're grateful for your presence. 
And now we ask that you would take your word and change our lives as the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that the result of us gathering and singing and studying the Bible would be that Jesus would be lifted up in this place. That the matchless, precious name of Jesus would be exalted. So Lord, would you help us? We need you. We believe that, that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We praise you and we magnify you in these moments. I ask that you would establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The major theme of Stephen's sermon was, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the sermon that he preached was organized around four major periods of Jewish history with a crescendo that points to Jesus. Now, we've been walking through this sermon, so I just kind of refresh your memory as to the last eight points of this sermon. We said that the formation of Israel was all about Jesus, that the preservation of Israel was all about Jesus, the ministry and message of Moses was all about Jesus, the law was all about Jesus. The the temple was all about Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The message of the prophets was all about Jesus. Persecution for Christians is all about Jesus. And so we saw how Jesus is the theme, the crescendo, the apex of this sermon that Stephen is building up to as he preaches. But again, when he mentions Jesus, when he mentions the righteous one, the religious leaders who desperately wanted to stop any mention of Jesus fly off the handle. We saw in our text we read together this morning that Stephen was stoned as a result of this sermon, which leads us to the ninth and final point of this sermon. If you look there in your notes, for Christians, death is all about Jesus. Death is all about Jesus. I want you to see four realities concerning Stephen's death in this passage. First, I want you to see that Stephen died with Christ's courage. Stephen died with Christ's courage. When Jesus Christ faced Calvary, he went to that hill called Golgotha with courage and with conviction, and he laid down his life because he loves you and he loves me. And in a like manner, Stephen exemplifies that same kind of courage as he faces death. Now, you say, Wade, where did this courage come from? How did Stephen have this kind of courage as he was being stoned? Well, Stephen had the courage that comes from, listen, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this kind of courage we see in this text is not natural, it is supernatural. If you notice there in verse 55, it says, He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And so Stephen was being filled with the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God was filling up his life, empowering him, giving him wisdom as to what to say, and giving him the wherewithal to say it. The Holy Spirit was giving him the courage he needed in a very intimidating situation. And so this was supernatural courage on display, the courage that only comes when the Holy Spirit has control of your life. 
Now, I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this, and he says it in a way that only Charles Spurgeon can say it, great English preacher of the 19th century. Spurgeon says, Now, my brethren, if you and I desire to walk among the sons of men without pride, but yet with a bearing that is worthy of our calling and adoption as princes of the blood royal of heaven, we must be trained by the Holy Ghost. Those men who are cowardly, whose profession of religion is so timid that you scarce know whether they have made it or not. Those men who go cap in hand to the world, asking leave to live, know nothing of the Holy Ghost. But when the Holy Spirit dwells in a man, he knows the right and holds the right, and is not the servant of men. With heaven in our eye, we may walk through the crowds of men as a lion walketh through a flock of sheep. I like that. In other words, if the Holy Spirit of God is filling up your life, giving you supernatural power and courage, you can walk through the intimidation of this world as a lion walks among a bunch of sheep. No fear, filled with great courage. And so Stephen, as he is being stoned, faces this death with an amazing boldness. This past week I was at a, a conference and, and I met a gentleman and he became a friend and he told me uh, some stories about his attempts to reach a certain people group. I won't mention the people group, I won't mention his name, I won't even mention the region of the world this took place in, but, but he was with his family uh, living in another country trying to engage a certain group of people, and, and the group of people that he was trying to engage are very defensive about anyone trying to come in and convert them from their religion. So they're very vigilant and on guard. And some of the people in that people group began to put the, uh, connect the dots and, and put the pieces together and discovered that this man that I met this week was there to share Christ. So, he knew many of these men, and, and they invited him in for a meeting. He had no idea what was coming, but he walked into this building that was controlled by the people in this people group, and they closed the door behind him and told him to sit down. And as he sat down, they began to be enraged and began to accuse him of coming to preach Jesus Christ, to convert them. They even pulled out a video that they had found uh, that pointed to him being there uh, as, uh, for, with, the, with an intention of leading folks to Jesus Christ. And they were enraged. They had weapons. They had swords. And he felt threatened. And they told him he could recant. He could recant based on what he had said in the video. Or he could leave immediately or else his kids would be killed. They told him. So we were talking about this. And I asked him the question, I said, what did you feel in that moment? I mean, what is it like? You're there, your life's in danger, there are people with weapons threatening you. I mean, what, what did you feel like? Here's what he said. He said, at first, I wanted to crawl under the table and disappear. He said, I just wanted to be gone from the air. I just wanted to, to just, just be invisible. But then he said, after a few moments, a peace came over me. And he said, I realized they were mad at me anyway, so I just began to just share Jesus and share the gospel. And they let him go. They didn't harm him. He got his family out of the country immediately because of 
the death threats. But isn't it interesting that he was able, in the midst of great intimidation, to share Christ. And he even had peace. How do you explain that? You explain that by the power of the Spirit of God. Filling up his life, giving him wisdom as to what to say, and giving him the wherewithal, the courage to say it. And Stephen here is dying with Christ's courage. But secondly, I want you to notice that Stephen died with Christ's commendation. He died with Christ's commendation. Look what the Bible says there in verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now that word open in verse 56, when he says, I see the heavens open, is a perfect passive participle. And the passive voice indicates that the heavens are opened by an outside force. In other words, it is God himself pulling back the veil so that Stephen could see something. Or rather, so that Stephen could see someone. Because as the heavens are open, as God pulls back the veil, Stephen sees his Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Now I think it's, it's interesting that Stephen sees Jesus standing. So what's significant about, about Jesus standing as Stephen gazes into the heavens? Well, as you study the Old Testament, you notice that the sacrificial system that God put into place was ongoing. The purpose of the sacrificial system was to foreshadow the ultimate sacrifice that would take place when Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross for the sins of the world. But until the ultimate sacrifice came, the sacrificial system was to be constantly carried out to foreshadow that ultimate sacrifice. So, until Jesus actually came and died on the cross, the work of the priests in leading the entire sacrificial system was never done. So, when priests were on duty, priests would never sit down. When they would minister in the holy place or in the holy of holies, they would never sit down. The work was never done. The sacrificial system had to be ongoing. But here's what's incredible. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, After Jesus had made purification for our sin, He sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the sacrificial work was complete, it was finished, and Jesus Christ, having died for your sins and my sins, could ascend to the Father and sit down. His work was done. Amen? But here, Stephen sees him standing. Why did Jesus get up? His work was finished. Why why is he standing in this moment? I believe his standing means at least three things. First of all, his standing indicates that he's taking special notice of Stephen and the tragic situation. It's as if Stephen, in the face of this persecution, as he is being martyred for his faith, 
Stephen, um, Jesus stands up from his place at the right hand of the Father and wants to see this situation unfold. He, he takes notice of what Stephen is encountering, what Stephen is enduring. He takes notice of the tragedy of that moment. In other words, Jesus is very interested in his servant in these moments. And he stands. And this reminds us that when we suffer for the sake of Christ or for the sake of the gospel, Jesus Christ is not distant and absent. Jesus Christ is taking notice of what we are enduring. He's standing. But also I believe that his standing indicates that he is taking uh, he, is, he is honoring Stephen. He's honoring Stephen. We, we know, don't we, that when we're in a room and someone important enters the room, a, a dignitary enters the room, what do we do? We, we stand in honor of the one coming into the room. Well, in like manner, I believe that Jesus Christ is standing to pay tribute to the courage of, and the conviction and the boldness of his servant, Stephen. He's standing in recognition of what Stephen is enduring for the sake of Christ. He's he's standing to give honor to Stephen's courage. But third, I believe his standing indicates that he is welcoming Stephen. Stephen was about to close his eyes in death. And when he closed his eyes in death, he would immediately open his eyes in eternity and his faith would become sight and he would see Jesus. And I believe he saw Jesus standing as as if to welcome his faithful servant. Now listen to me. I don't know if our death will be as dramatic as Stephen's was. Maybe, maybe not. We may die for our faith, for preaching the gospel, for standing for Jesus. We may die quietly, surrounded by loved ones, and peacefully slip off into eternity. I don't know how we are going to die, but here's my desire. When I die, however it may be, I want Christ's commendation. When I die... I want to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to hear him say that, don't you? I want to live my life in such a way that when I step into eternity, Jesus Christ is taking note of his servant and he's saying, Well done. That's how I want to die. I want to hear Christ's commendation. In our nation, we award to certain members of the military a purple heart. A purple heart is an award given to those wounded or killed while serving in the U.S. military. The Purple Heart is a medal which is our nation's commendation for sacrificial service. And I believe Jesus is standing here in this passage in commendation of the sacrifice of his servant Stephen. He's standing to take note of and to honor 
Stephen's courageous martyrdom. And so Stephen died with Christ's courage and he died with Christ's commendation. But third, Stephen died with Christ's confidence. With Christ's confidence. Look what the Bible says in verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice. When he mentioned again the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, when he mentioned Jesus, they cry out and they stop their ears and rush together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen died with Christ's confidence. The same confidence that Jesus displayed on the cross, Stephen displayed as he was being stoned. Now, why did Stephen have confidence as he was being pelted with stones? First of all, he had confidence in the presence of Christ. Notice what it says there in verse 59. It says, he called out. Everyone see that? He called out. In other words, he believed that Jesus was there to hear his prayer. He calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So even in the midst of his suffering, even in the midst of being stoned, Stephen believed that Jesus Christ was with him. F.F. Bruce writes, Much more real to him in that moment than the angry gestures and cries of those around him was the presence of Jesus at God's right hand. And isn't that the goal? That when when we face our appointment with death, Jesus will be more real to us in that moment than the circumstances surrounding us. Isn't that the goal? That when we face death, we have confidence that in that moment, no matter what's what's transpiring in that moment, Jesus is there. He had confidence in Christ's presence, but also he had confidence in Christ as mediator. When you read Stephen say here, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, you probably thought about something Jesus said on the cross. We recently studied the seven sayings from the cross, and one saying that we studied was when Jesus said, right before he breathed his last, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in a similar way, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The same kind of confidence that Jesus had on the cross was the same confidence that Stephen had. But there's a major difference between what Jesus said and what Stephen says. Jesus said in Luke 23, 46, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Why does Stephen cry out to the Lord Jesus? I believe it's because Stephen understood that Jesus was the one mediator that made a relationship with the Father available. You see, Jesus was the Son of God from eternity past. You have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was, in his his essence and nature, the Son of God. We are not children of God naturally. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we are at enmity with God because of our sin. 
But when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says gloriously that you and I are adopted and by the Spirit, because of the work of Jesus, we can call God Father, right? And I believe that when he calls up to the Lord Jesus, he's, he's recognizing that Jesus Christ is the mediator that makes a relationship with God possible. It's because of Jesus and his finished work that Stephen has confidence in this moment. So he has confidence in the presence of Christ, confidence in Christ as mediator, and third, confidence in his eternal home. It says there, the heavens were opened. God, in his grace, gave Stephen just a glimpse of heaven. And Stephen knew that when he breathed his last, he would open his eyes in heaven. A place with no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He would be in the presence of God. And he had confidence in his eternal home. And so Stephen dies with confidence. He's not rattled. He just simply says, Lord Jesus, would you receive my spirit? D.L. Moody would often say, the great evangelist, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. And that confidence, and that's the confidence that you and I can have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? We have nothing to fear. The next step is heaven, all because of the grace and the power and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can face death with confidence. Nothing to fear. But fourth and last, we've noted that Stephen died with Christ's courage and Christ's commendation and Christ's confidence. But fourth, I want you to see that Stephen died with Christ's compassion. Christ's compassion. Look what the Bible says in verse 60. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And so as Stephen is being stoned even unto his death, he desires that his executioners find forgiveness. Wow. Wow. Now here's the question. As Stephen is being stoned, how does he find it within him to forgive? I mean, why is he even thinking about this at that moment? Well, let me give you two reasons he could forgive. Number one, he had supernatural power. Remember what it says in verse 55? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, forgiveness, true, genuine forgiveness is not natural. You know what's natural? When somebody wrongs us, we want them to pay for it, don't we? We want them to get what's coming to them, right? That's natural. Revenge is natural. Forgiveness is supernatural. You can't forgive the way Stephen is forgiving without the power of the Holy Spirit alive and operative in your life. It's just not going 
to happen. So he had supernatural power, but he also had a perfect example to follow. Again, when you, when you see Stephen say, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, you probably heard echoes of what Jesus said on the cross. Another saying from the cross, when Jesus Christ was crucified, Luke records that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And so what's Stephen doing in this passage by forgiving? He's simply following in the steps of Jesus. He's simply following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Claire and I have silly arguments. I don't know about you married couples out there, but we have silly arguments. As a matter of fact, sometimes we'll, we'll argue about something, and later on in the day we can't remember what we are arguing about. You ever been there? And so we have those little tiffs. It's not real hard to forgive. Claire can forgive me for my silliness because she knows that I love her and we're committed to, uh, to, our, to our marriage. And, and so it's not, it's not a big deal for Claire to forgive me in those moments. She's always quick to forgive. But notice, he's not forgiving here someone that cares about him and loves him. Stephen desires forgiveness for those that are actually throwing stones at him. Stoning was an awful way to die. In the first century, they would either, uh, even either bury you up to your waist and then pelt you with stones. They'd put you down in some sort of pit and stand above you and throw stones down on top of you. It was an, an awful way to die. And yet, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, following the example of Christ, could say, as the stones are being hurled, I hope that they're forgiven. I hope that you will not hold this sin against them. Now, isn't it interesting that Saul is mentioned twice in this passage? Look what it says in verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And look in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. So Saul's there in full agreement of, of, of Stephen's death, in full agreement that Stephen should be stoned and killed. Saul! And yet, in two chapters, we're going to see that Saul is gloriously converted on the road to Damascus. See, I believe that Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, is an answer to Stephen's prayer. Stephen's desiring that these men who are seeing to his execution, would be forgiven. And Saul, who became Paul, experienced that forgiveness and became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! An enemy of the cross gets saved! And that's what Stephen's praying for. Lord Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. May they experience your forgiveness. We can learn much by the way that Stephen died. And here's what I want you to think about this morning with me. Just listen carefully. We can be witnesses to Jesus with our words and with our life. And we can be witnesses to Jesus even in the way that we face death. Christians don't face death like everyone else. There's a confidence a courage in that moment that comes from knowing 
heaven is your next step. That comes from knowing Jesus is with you. And so, I don't know when my time of death is going to come. I don't know when your time of death is going. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know how you're going to die. But if Jesus to tarry, we're all going to die. And what if we exemplified the same faith that Stephen exemplified while he was being stoned? I bet it would make a difference in this world. So you say, wait, what's the point of this sermon? It's a long sermon. We've been studying Acts 7 for three weeks now. It took you three weeks to get through Stephen's one sermon. What's the point of it? If you look in your notes, here's the point. God has a rescue plan for humanity that culminates in Jesus, and to reject Jesus is to reject God's salvation. That's what the sermon's about. God has a rescue plan. It's all about Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, you are rejecting Jesus. The salvation, the forgiveness, the eternal life that God is offering you is a free gift. And that's a serious rejection. 